0: Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of Ag Credit Set It. I'm Libby Wickstead.
1: And I'm Phil Young, here to bring you another great episode.
0: Now, Phil, I have one question for you. Are you a fake tree person or a real Christmas tree person? As of
1: right now, I'm a fake tree person, and that's mainly just because my kids, because I feel like we'd have needles literally all over our house, (laughs) and my dog would destroy it. And so... Yeah, we're a fake tree family right now, but hopefully someday a real tree family. How about you guys?
0: We are a fake tree family right now. Um, Again, little kids too. But growing up, I had great memories um, with my family going out to the tree farm and uh, cutting the Christmas tree down and bringing it down. And my parents still to this day have a real Christmas tree um, every uh, Christmas season. Nice. Yes. Yes. So we sat down with Jeff from Kaleidoscope Farm, which is a Christmas tree farm near Finley, Ohio. And we had a great conversation about agritourism on his farm and all the great things that they're doing. And also how his father started this farm uh, from a change in career. And then also now I had a succession plan and now all four of the boys um, from, of their family are running the Christmas tree farm.
1: Yeah, it was just it was cool to listen. You know, you, you think of uh, Halloween and fall and doing pumpkin, pumpkin patch type style stuff and going out and, and doing corn mazes and stuff. But I never really think, thought about, hey, there's probably a Christmas tree version of this out there where you can go cut down your own Christmas tree do events for, for Christmas, and, and this is what they do. So at Kaleidoscope Farms in Mount Corey, Ohio, they, they you can have a, a huge experience with with cutting down your tree. So excited to, uh, for you guys to listen to our conversation with Jeff, and maybe you'll take a road trip and see him.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the bigger thing is, too, is that the challenges that they face of their growing season and how they um, are direct marketing to their um, consumers and just – the pluses and the minuses of everything of just this uh, this tree farm and how different it is than what we know of row crops. So let's get to it. Welcome, Jeff.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: We're happy that you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some background about your guys' farm?
2: Yeah, I'm Jeff Reese. I'm with Kaleidoscope Farms. We have a, a family-owned Christmas tree farm in Northwest Ohio, and uh, we've been doing it for... Well, really, as long as I've been alive, I'm an identical twin. So my parents had two boys, and uh, my dad's dream was always to put us to work. And so he was trying to figure out the most labor-intensive operation he should he could come up with. And he had kind of settled on Christmas tree farm on some old pasture ground. that had never been tilled. He was big into you know, conservation practices and things like that. And he was trying to come up with good ways to utilize land that wasn't necessarily... Good for typical farming, and so went out on a limb, purchased this land, uh, planted a whole bunch of trees, and then had uh, two more boys. So they planted the trees in the spring of '83. My brother and I were born in November, and then all of a sudden, you have four boys and a new offshoot business that is uh, very labor intensive. It's a big upfront cost because you plant trees and then you plant trees, and then you mow trees, and then you plant trees, and hopefully you don't mow off trees. And uh, so you you do all of this work before you ever really get a return on your investment. So I always joke that my dad picked a model. He was either going to kill us, put us to work, to, or go crazy, and two of those things happened. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Well, first off, I got your farm is called Kaleidoscope Farms. Yes. What, where did the name come from? I'm really curious. So
2: it's a little bit off or a misnomer now because we don't do all these things. But when we started out, again, b- to kind of make ends meet and and do all this because it, it, my mom jokes too, she doesn't remember anything for the first 10 years of our lives. It was just
1: pure <laughs> yeah, oh, insanity yeah. all the time. I'm a twin as well. That's oh, my, are you That's really? what my mom oh, says as well. Yeah. As soon as we were born, it's yeah. like, I don't remember. She no, that's remember
2: what she. anybody asks, like, what's it like raising you know twins? And she goes, I honestly don't know. Write it down because yep. you won't remember anything if you don't write it down. There you go. Tidbit for anybody, uh, a parent of twins. Write it down because there won't be advice otherwise. So you're just happy we were alive. <laughs> <But I> think, <laughs> That's yeah. right. If we made it through another day, it was yeah. like, whoo, succeeded. Mark. Yeah. And so, but uh, Kaleidoscope Farms was Christmas tree farms. We raised Great Pyrenees sheepdogs. We had Horn Dorset, uh, a flock of Horn Dorset sheep. We had. Dried flowers. Mom had herbs. We raised mums. Uh, shiitake mushrooms is another weird one that okay. we did, and we still dabble in the shiitake mushrooms. There's still some logs out in the woods that that produce some, and uh, but we did kind of all of these things. And again, you know, it goes back to the tree farm was still getting started, so we still needed lots of of jobs for the boys to do. So cutting dried flowers in the middle of August, or you know, doing things like that and, and keeping us busy all through the year before the farm officially opened. We did a lot of those things. And as the tree farm has grown, most of those things have kind of died down quite a bit because it just, there wasn't, the tree farm kind of exploded and there really wasn't time to do those other things. Plus boys and sports and all the stuff that we got into uh, that filled that, that space for us. Gotcha. And where are you, where are you
1: guys located?
2: We're just outside of Mount Corey. So we're kind of three miles off of I 75, the Mount Corey exit there, just north of, of that, but kind of in the middle of, of nowhere. But that makes it, that's part of what the charm. There's a stream that runs through. Uh, we have a bridge that crosses that. So some years you literally get to go over the river and through the woods to pick out your Christmas tree. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah.
0: So can you share, like, how long does it take? you from like planting a tree to cutting it down as a Christmas tree?
2: So we planted about 5,000 trees this year, which was the most we've ever planted. And then we had a drought. So we lost over a thousand of those, which which really stinks. But what that is, is, is we're anticipating a crop in eight to 10 years. Oh my gosh. For those trees. So in, in a perfect world, if I could wait 10 years for every tree that I planted. So say we lost 1,000. I'm going to replant those 1,000 trees this coming spring. So those will all be a year younger than the ones that now have an established root system. You know, they're, 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 they should be very well versed to survive adversity. So they're, they should thrive in a good year. <clears throat> so the ones we plant this spring are definitely going to be handicapped compared to those. So if I can wait 10 years and replant just a couple of years in between, then the first year trees should be 10, 12 foot tall, which a lot of people like. And then the the trees that I planted after that should be at least eight to nine years or eight to nine feet tall. So now I have every tree in that section should be sellable. Okay. And then I can clean it out, replant it. But what ends up happening is we have to plant, we have to cut trees out maybe at eight years or nine years. And then I have six foot tall trees or five foot tall trees. So then I have to leave them, let them sit a year, get another foot taller or whatever. And so that the the mapping out of all those things is not like if you mess up and you're like, I shouldn't have planted corn this year, next year, you just fix it. Mm-hmm. I don't get that luxury. I have yeah. to wait to wait a decade and remember what my screw up was and then fix it. Varieties are that way. Pines like wet ground, fir trees like sandy ground. So sometimes it, it takes that rotation before you're like, shouldn't have planted those there.
1: Yeah. How many var- that was my next question, is how many varieties do you guys have?
2: So currently on our farm, we have Canaan fir, Fraser fir, which are we have a hard time growing because our uh, soil are actually very alkaline and they like very acidic. <laughs> Fun fact, we used to have acid rain. When I was a kid, they talked about how all our monuments were going to be, like, eroded away because of all the acid rain. Now we have more alkaline rain, which then I have to combat because we have limestone and... And all of that in our soil. So I actually have to add sulfur and acidic, you know, material to our soils to make our trees happy. Mm. And it's just funny because, you know, we talk about environmentalism and, you know, we're on a farm. We do a lot of conservation programs. Well, a lot of those things are working. Nobody's really talking about those things. But we see it very deliberately in our soil sampling because we can't get our pH down to where the trees like it because we're combating literally the rain. Mm. which is kind of a crazy thing, whereas 20 years ago, the opposite of that was true. So all of that plays in a factor, and we had to start sampling specifically looking at the acidity of the soil. But uh, Fraser fir are hard, but we can grow them. Concolor fir, which are unique because they're hypoallergenic and they have a citrusy smell to them. So you break the needle, they almost smell like an orange. Uh, We have white pine, scotch pine, and those are sparing. Those are kind of the old guard of Christmas trees. They're a little more disease-prone, a little more insect pressure, and we try not to spray for a lot of that stuff. So we've mostly just eliminated a lot of those trees because of that. And then uh, blue spruce are becoming a problem with some blights and different things like that. So we have a few of those, but then Norway spruce and Black Hills spruce are another big wow. of, of the varieties that we plant and spruce trees are really beautiful, really smell awesome in your house, but they they just drop their needles a lot faster. Mm. So the whole tree is covered in needles. I always say they just have a lot more to give and they <laughs> and they do.
1: Yeah. So do you is it a challenge for you guys to try to I mean there's is the preference of people that want trees? Is it a specific variety they're looking for? Is that also a challenge to be like, hey, we're out of this specific variety. And they're like, well, I don't want any. (laughs) I don't like what you have.
2: Yes. So I'm thinking of a specific couple right now and they come out every year and they want a white pine. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. White pine have really flimsy branches. They don't hold heavy ornaments. So this couple has purposely kept the ornaments that fit on a white pine. They don't have heavy, those porcelain. They just don't have them. They don't, or they put them on a different item. And so they, they want a white pine. They know its limitations. They love it. They, that's what they want. And we just don't always have really nice, big white pine because of various reasons. And they say, well, we know one day we're going to have to pick a different kind of tree. <laughs> but until that day, we want a white pine. I said that's great, and then we have a handful of people that are just be like, "Well, we'll see you next year," and you know they'll, mm-hmm. we'll put up the fake one this year, and we'll come back next year when you have more of what we like. And they're not, you know, bad about it, but mm-hmm. some people they like what they like, and if they can't get that, then they just don't get a real tree that year. Yeah, which is too bad, but I I understand it as long as some people get a little little fired up. I can't make. Oh a, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I can't make a Christmas tree grow faster. I, yeah. I really do try very hard. <laughs> You're kind of in the business of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would love to be able <laughs> yeah. to make my trees grow faster, but yeah, it's always entertaining uh, at the end of the season. Not entertaining, but at the end of the season, you know, it's the somebody comes out and they're like, "Well, I want a ten foot tall Christmas tree," and I I'm really sorry. I just I don't have any more of those left. I have really nice six foot tall Christmas trees, but I don't think that's going to work in your Giant you know vaulted ceiling. so I you know I'm sorry, but those are the ones that go the fastest because they're the hardest to keep around. Mm-hmm.
0: So. so with plant having a plant 10 years ahead <laughs> it's tough how do you how do you plan for consumer preferences when you know what the preference is now but how, how can you guys project 10 years down the road?
1: It's
2: terrifying. So I mean we planted all these trees because right now the demand is through the roof you know, everybody's come out of COVID. There's a lot of uh, younger families that have decided that they want experiences as their family. And so a Christmas tree farm is a great experience, you know, putting up, let's unbox the tree, kids. It's just, it's not the same as going out to the farm. And uh, I think a lot of people have realized that the Christmas tree is a great experience more so than just the Christmas tree. And so, but in 10 years- we could have all those trees and demand could actually be down. So then it's it's a balancing act. And what we're seeing on a national scale is that nobody prepared for this because 10 years ago, there was an economic downturn. There was a glut of Christmas trees. So these great big farms were basically selling them for pennies on the dollar because they just, they, now they got, instead of selling all their trees well we have all these left over i have 15 i have 20 foot trees no i you know what am i going to do with these mm-hmm. i've paid to take care of them for all this time and now i they're not worth as much as you know a smaller tree so that's difficult but uh right now we're seeing for sure that it is there's more demand than there are trees just on a on a national scale and that is tough because as a farm we bring in, we, we can't grow them fast enough. So we bring in trees and basically all of our suppliers said, sorry, we don't have as many this year. You can't have as many. Now I, I have been purposely backloading some of our own trees. So I, we're gonna have enough this year to make it through and and prepared for next year. But you start getting three, four years out, you just really don't know Mm. what you're going to have. You can plan for it. You can think you're going to be okay, but there's, it's just a, it's faith is all it is. It's a faith and a prayer.
0: (laughs) So I guess with that, how, what other things have you guys added to your farm to kind of bring people out and kind of combat maybe not having the, the, I guess the tree amount that you have that'll just bring people out and give them that type of experience?
2: So, yeah, we have uh, a horse-drawn wagon ride. We've had reindeer in the past. Reindeer become a bit of a problem to to keep around. So we're going to actually talk to uh, a guy who has a family farm where, he, you know, his kids, basically it's their jobs is to manage the, these animals, and they have all this stuff. They're great people. But he's going to bring out some baby doll sheep and a couple of goats. And they have these coon-coon pigs that are just they're – they're – like furry pigs. They're absolutely adorable. But last year he brought them out and they they rutted up our entire pasture area in a matter of hours, oh, wow. not wow. days, hours. Wow. And he said, oh, no, no, just should be fine. He, he thought we were exaggerating. So he drove by and he went, I'm going to bring out some feed for those guys. Uh, I don't know <laughs> why that's happening, but okay. So, but we try to have nativity style animals is important to us, you know, for the reason of why we do what we do. And, um, I think coon, coon pigs fall right into that. However, maybe not the rutting. So we're, I think we're gonna have some goats this year instead. So some, some baby doll sheep, some goats, uh, we have a donkey, but it's actually currently residing at my brother's house. And, uh, we don't know that we can transport him, her back and forth. So goats, sheep, uh, a you know, cattle. We've had cattle. We have a whole nativity scene on occasion. So we try to do stuff like that. We have a scavenger hunt that my brother writes, and and you can wander around the whole farm. We try to do things in general because we want people to just enjoy the farm. And we want people to, even if we're not picking out trees across the, the creek, that you can still wander over the river and through the woods, and you can still kind of go check that out. Actually, one of our early tag events People were going through the woods and they were picking pawpaws down in our pawpaw patch. And there were people were like holding them up like they were trophies. And they were all like, <laughs> they're like, look what this, I found this fruit. Just growing wild. <laughs> we're like, that's exactly what, what we wanted. We wanted people to to experience the farm. We have a beaver dam, which is a whole separate thing that's kind of a problem. But we have a beaver dam. We've had otters on the farm. We just have stuff that people don't see in their day-to-day lives. And it's uh, it's unique to be able to walk around on the farm, and we have topography. Northwest Ohio is very flat. Mm-hmm. We have some some hills and things like that, so it make it nice. And uh, some wildlife that you just don't see everywhere else. So that that's a big thing for us is to just kind of experience the farm in its whole.
1: One of the things I think I saw or read you have gourd slinging. Yeah, yeah, we did fantastic. that. Fantastic. <laughs> and I we want did, to know more about that. Right. We
2: did that for uh, our two tag days. And so it was a free, it was just free. So I think the, you know, the insurance folks probably were not super enthusiastic about that, but it was just a, it was a free to do if you'd like, kind of a fun thing for the kids to do. And we put a, a boat out there. So there's nothing quite sweeter than listen to a mini pumpkin, just the wanging against a hollow boat is a, a very rewarding if you hit the target it was very rewarding. It's the small things in life yes, right, right. Yeah. yes yeah. exactly right yep and so but we we really want to make an environment where people feel like they can come and stay and enjoy the farm because what we find is there's always people they show up they want to get their tree and they want to get out of there and and that's fine i mean we're a business we we need to accept that people want to do that but really the people that come and then you see them and then you see them again and then you see them again. And then all of a sudden they're eating a sandwich in the back of the truck with their Christmas tree loaded. And they're like, yeah, Hey guys, (laughs) still here. (laughs) Great. That's exactly, you know, bring a picnic, stick around, hang out because ultimately, you know, you're buying a Christmas tree, but you're really buying that experience. You can go to Lowe's, and you could probably buy a little cheaper tree maybe not it depends I, on the tree but uh but it's just what we're selling is that experience and that family atmosphere and uh on certain days it gets so busy that we don't have time to talk to everybody and and that's not what we do not why we do what we do but ultimately we can't we can't control the crowds when people come they come so uh we we always feel bad when we don't get to interact with all of our customers but it it's awesome when we see people that are just truly enjoying what the farm is.
0: So when did you guys decide to make this more of an experience rather than come pick up your tree and leave and make it more of an agritourism destination within Northwest Ohio?
2: I think my dad from the very beginning, uh, my dad actually taught ag business, and he has never once run this like a business. In fact, he's fought that at every turn so we, we still actually have free hot cider. We do. We just, if you want a cup, have a cup. We used to do peanuts. We, the wagon rides are free. The, we tie it to your car for free. We haul the tree for you. We cut it down with bowsaws. That was the other thing is my dad didn't want, I think he was terrified of any of us running chainsaws. But <laughs> he always said it was the, the environment. So if you have chainsaws running and all that, it's loud, it's noisy. And yeah. so a bowsaw although way more work, is very quiet. And the other thing is kids can help us do it. So that's always a really cool thing when, you know, your son gets to get down or daughter, you know, the little girls are awesome, like, let's go, let's get dirty and crawl down underneath your Christmas tree and help cut it down. And that's something they get to remember, tell their friends at school. And we got a lot of kids that do that. So uh, from the very beginning, it it was really more centered on, that And so when we started, we would literally, a family would show up and a Reese brother would, you know, go meet with them, greet them, walk with them the whole time, explain to them how the farm worked, cut down their tree, carry it up, shake the old needles out, wrap it up, tie it to the car, and then start the process over with the next family. We're too busy to, to get to do it that way now, but that was the whole impetus of, of what the farm was for. And... It certainly uh, makes you comfortable talking to complete strangers like they're part of your family. So that's not a bad
1: offshoot. Oh yeah. So when do you guys when do you guys open up? Like when's day? So one? we're
2: technically Sunday. This coming Sunday is oh, our okay. day one, which is crazy because it it always used to be Black Friday or what we call Green Friday because you know <laughs> oh, <yeah>. we're <laughs> clever like that. But this, so many people have wanted their Christmas trees prior to Thanksgiving. And uh, I, I saw a funny meme the other day. It said that turkey tastes just as good with their Christmas tree up.
0: Yep, I oh, saw that.
2: Okay. I don't advise people to put your tree up prior to Thanksgiving, especially a real tree. It's a long time to keep a living thing alive that's now no longer has roots, right? Mm-hmm. It's a long time, but people do it and don't seem to have issues. I had a, a customer this last Sunday at our tag event. He pulled me aside, and he was, he was trying to be subtle. He said, I just want to ask you, um, our tree only made it into the second week of January last year, and I didn't know if there's something I should be doing differently so that it lasted. And there was a, a woman standing there, and she goes, was it a bald and burlap tree? Was it? He goes, no, it was a cut tree. He goes, I just assumed they made it to Epiphany. <laughs> and I went, she goes... If it makes it to New Year's, that's a good year. She goes, if you're making it to the middle of January, you're doing something right. Yeah, the question is, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 So I,
1: mean, I should be asking yeah. the questions to you.
2: <laughs> like, wow. I mean, what a product, right? Yeah. He inadvertently gave a rave review, and he didn't even know it. He goes, I, I, we were really happy, but it just, you know, it, it didn't quite make it to Epiphany. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> so uh, I, I always think it's funny how, you know everybody is different but yeah you certainly aren't getting your tree this sunday before thanksgiving and keeping it into january that's probably not going to be a, a normal cause so a lot of people get it early and then you know basically christmas it's out of there and and it should be fine but i you know you're bringing mother nature into your home things happen so it's been a stressful year for trees it's you know we had a drought and then we had a whole bunch of rain and then we had drought again and so you just never know. Last year we had issues because there wasn't a frost. Now, obviously this year that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But the frost was so late, uh, those trees, uh, that's that's their trigger to really lock all their needles in place and and protect themselves. And so we had some trees that were cut prior to the frost and that, that they don't hold their needles as well when that happens. And that is quite literally never been an issue before. So just kind of the uh, adaptation of how things go it's just it's always changing Hmm.
1: do you have I guess we kind of talked a little bit about this already but I'm curious do you have a lot of your your you have people that are diehard real tree people and then they continue to come back and then you have people that are like uh, the newbies you know like is it do you have a lot of newbies like I'm coming to get my tree for the very first time I have no idea what I'm doing or or is it more probably just the repeat customers
2: I'm always shocked at how many new people that come out there like yeah we've never been to your farm before And every year there's always a bunch of those. I think there's a pretty big percentage of real Christmas tree customers that also have an artificial tree. And so they get a tree when it's convenient or they get a tree or, you know, maybe they get a real tree every year, but some years they just don't have time to come out to Mount Corey, Ohio. So they get one at a lot somewhere or whatever. And so mostly for us, as long as you're getting, you're having a good experience, that's what's important to us. Because especially with new customers, we really only get one opportunity to show them why we're different. And when you get really busy, we, we don't really have that opportunity every single time. And I think as, as a lot of people know, you could put signage everywhere. I had a six foot sign last year and people would walk up to it and then keep going. And they're like, where are the trees at? It says it on the sign. <laughs> that you looked at, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things where every year you kind of, it's shocking how many new customers we get, but I think that's a big part of it. It's, it's not that they did, they had a bad experience or, you know, it was different, but life, you know, life is crazy and you just don't always have time to go do the experience. So you run to Lowe's or, you know, a lot, I, I would much rather see people go to a lot in their community and at least they'll buy a, from somebody where they value the fact that it's a real Christmas tree. Lowe's just wants you in the store. They don't, they don't particularly care if you have a nice experience. So nothing against that, but mm-hmm. personal preference.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you mentioned this. How many acres do you guys cover with your with your trees? I mean, so how big is your... Yeah. We've, we've
2: continued to expand. I think we're getting close to like 25-ish acres of Christmas trees, roughly 1,000 trees per acre. So okay. the original farm was a total of 55 acres. And so we had maybe five or eight acres of trees. And so we've we've expanded drastically from that. But we have a couple of pipelines that run through. We have a couple places, you know, we have some interesting hurdles to overcome that where we can't plant trees. We have conservation reserve ground. We have a wetland area. We have uh, the creek that runs through. So- we have a lot of, you know, area to cover, but we don't have Christmas trees on all that. We actually tried uh, ridges. We we tilled up and we made ridges in the floodplain. And it it survived for eight years. And we had big, beautiful, fast-growing, awesome trees. And then in 07, the flood came through. And three feet up of every single one of those eight, nine, ten-foot trees was totally covered in debris. Wow. So we had to go through and... and brush off and clean off all of that in that 95 degree, 100% humidity, it was just terrible. And then we lost about a thousand sellable trees. Wow. so it's, to be honest, from 07 on, we've been still playing catch up even all these years later, because when you lose that many trees that are of sellable size, you just, you can't just blink and, and recuperate that. That's That was a big deal. So oddly enough, we're we're finally going to be reselling or finishing out a section of the replant from, from all of that wow. this year.
0: Well, <laughs> lastly here, I think the last question I have for you would be, do you have any advice for anybody that is wanting to diversify their farm in, I guess, a non traditional crop? And then also how, um, how to take that and make it an agritourism destination?
2: So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, especially with agritourism, you can go about it two ways. You can go about it strictly from a business and I can do it this way. I can make money. I can bring people on the, you know, bringing people to your farm is an inconvenience, right? Like when people come to your property and they feel like they can just, you know, go wherever they want and do whatever they want, it can be a huge inconvenience. So, you kind of have to have that mindset. So then your, your question is, do you do it strictly as a business to make money? Or do you do it as an experience where you can make money, but then also you have that kind of rewarding. And so maybe it's not as, as efficient, but you do some things that, and I think in general agriculture and agritourism is, is tends to be more that way. It's not efficient, but it's better. Right? Mm -hmm. So, But those are the choices you have to make because ultimately, you know, if you're building a rental hall, if you're building an event center, if you're doing any of those things, people are going to be on your property. And so they're going to feel like they can do whatever they want once they're there. So you either have to accept that or you have to spend a whole lot to rope off, you know, cordon off areas, however you do that. But, I, but then you lose some of the charm of, of what makes the agritourism such a unique and, and cool thing. So we have chose to just kind of allow people to do that. But uh, because of the space in the area, it's, it's also hard to manage because we have a ton of space for people to cover. So we have to mow it, clean it, keep it nice. It's a lot. So summer months... We're, we're somewhat missing opportunities to bring people in because it's, it's tough to manage because you can't let people go wander through poison ivy and briars and you, know, you have to keep that maintained and that's just that's a full-time job so I think in general accepting that kind of base of knowledge makes things makes you sleep a lot easier at night once you get to that point you're like, okay, people are on my farm people are on my property and that's okay and and then where do we go from there? Mm-hmm.
1: Jeff, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to have you. That was a fascinating topic, learned a ton. Um, again, you can see Kaleidoscope Farms uh, at Mount Corey, Ohio, and they're open right now, so if you wanna go, go check them out, definitely do it. You can buy your tree, have fun, um, and we will be back for another great episode uh, very soon. Thanks for joining us, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Said It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.